This is Randy Valentin, and you're listening to Bladeology Podcast. Okay, we're going to jump into this like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. We are on this week with our original host lineup, and we have a special guest. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. Awesome. And we have Paul Panak from Burn Knives on tonight. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about this. Uh, we've been trying to get this together. And uh, Paul is a, a maker of, of all things automatic and, and really of all things in general. Um, if you're not familiar with him, you should immediately check out his Instagram. He has been making knives for a very long time of incredibly diverse variety of materials and styles. Paul, I want to thank you so much for coming on tonight. Tell us a little bit about about how you got into knife making. When when did uh when did you get when did you get into it? How, how did it start? Uh, my dad gave me a seven inch Rizzuto switchblade when I was about twelve years old. And I tried for the life of me to, to put a new spring in that. Couldn't do it. Killed the knife or destroyed it in, in so doing. Uh, cried like a baby. So dad took me to the flea market and bought me another one. And I guess it went on from there. I tried to put, I took the plastic scales off that one. Tried to put wood ones on it. Ruined that one. Uh, so that went on for, you know, a couple of years. I got better. I just kept filing uh, wood scales on plastic pieces of shit. Um, then I, then I came around to fixing and repairing old case knives for guys. Uh, internet, internet rolled around. I started taking pictures of what I was doing and a guy named Jerry Rados, if you know him, called me on the phone one day and said, I see potential in you and I want to teach you how to make your own knives instead of fucking around with this shit. So, uh, he had me come out to his house for a long weekend, taught me a lot. Uh, I went home, uh, that after that weekend and, uh, took a $7,000 loan off my father-in-law to buy a little mini mill, uh, standing machine, a, uh, a grinding machine and some drills and stuff started making my own Italians from scratch. Um, at that point, I had already been restoring uh, Italian antique knives for some reputable uh, sellers, dealers that sell the antique ones. So I knew my way around them a little bit. Uh, but Jerry taught me how to incorporate the uh, what's that? What's the name of that mechanism? Um, the lockback. Not the lockback, but what's the what's the knife that that just locks by itself? What's that called? Locks, lo- a, pick lock? You, not, not a pick lock. It's just a regular manual folding knife. Oh, like a liner lock. Nope. Um, without lock. the liner lock. Frame lock? Nope. Keep going. You're almost there. <laughs> uh, let me think. Yeah, yeah. Was it a slip joint? Slip joint. Yes. That's it. Slip joint. Um, so I incorporated, Jerry taught me how to incorporate the slip joint into the pick lock mechanism. Okay. Which made it a better, you know, Italian knife. Hmm. There we go. So I mean, so you were you were you were at this pretty early on with uh 
with Italians. Yes, it was my start. Yes. Man, that's I, I mean that's like a so most people who are familiar or unfamiliar with Italians. I mean these knives are not really designed to come apart. I mean they're most part peened together with mm-hmm. hammers. Yeah. And um, so any anybody willing to take it apart and and figure how it's put together is it's a brave move. It's very yeah. brave. Um. Okay, so then, sorry, sir, you're you're restoring knives, and then you're then you move right into just making Italians. Yes. Okay, and um, so I, I'm relatively familiar with with some of your Italian work, but I mean, it really it spans all types of Italians. Uh, mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. which, if anyone is not familiar, the Italians love, among other things, to make. Italians from the smallest one to the largest one, and you you did something really interesting. I have seen other people make um, Italians, but you actually made swing guards, which is particularly insane. Uh, Swing guards are the hardest knife in the world to make because you have to time the action with a zero blade play uh, lockup. It's not easy. It's very frustrating, very... Uh, time challenging takes a long time to do so and and for those for those listeners who are not familiar um how dare you with with swing guards so uh, a swing guard is basically an it's an italian uh what we know is stilettos so when you fire the blade there's two-piece guard that's in motion during the entire opening of the blade and then sits in the locked and open position when the blade is in the locked and open position. So that's like, it's correct. It's, I think it's one of the coolest Italians ever. I have the only Italians that I have in my collection are swing guards just cause they're so fucking neat. Um, and most of the ones available well, the Italian ones anyway are sort of with, you know, with all due love, they're a little bit jankety. They're not like, you know, perfect machined things. They're all peened together. So, I mean like, yeah, mm-hmm. when, when you're saying they're impossible, I can, I can only, I can kind of only imagine uh, what you're talking about. I'm assuming it's very hard. Very. Uh, and so you didn't even make, so your swingers were like these cool or are these cool sort of like, almost like, like edged, like lightning bolt. Like they're really, they're really neat. They're not just flat guards. Um, right. And in your, in your sort of Italian, uh, in your lineup. So, I mean, you've made, you've made small ones, you've made huge ones, um, and you've made fishtails too. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, some, some of the, the variety of Italians you've made? Um, yeah, like you said, the fishtails also, uh, that's kind of a, they're a little bit more easier, um, than a pick lock. Um, they, you don't have to handcraft any type of top bolster with a file uh where those were, were a pick lock the, the top bolsters i i cut in with a file and shape with a file it takes a long yeah. time um where the fishtail top bolsters are just simply rolled on a machine so i can roll them on a sanding machine and just roll them i don't have to cut in any finger guards on them so that makes that process easy hmm so and and this that's another that's another note um like a machining note or, or knife making note so the other thing about italians the collecting and 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 understanding the italian sort of genre of knife 
there's a big thing which is square button Italians and the engagement mm-hmm. of the mechanism of Italian, which I think is what you're talking about, Paul, when, when you're saying the file work is because you have to make round and square holes, which seems like an easy thing, but any machinist will tell you making an actual square hole is almost like impossible. Yeah. So that's, I mean, when you're filing this stuff, you're filing the edges to make and to make square buttons and to make the to make the square locks. Uh, so when you're, if you're talking about a square button, that was uh, that was a mechanism designed by the uh, uh, Queen Company, and that is actually like a plunge style mechanism. So it's a one eighth inch style plunge rod that goes down in between a hole in the blade and has a relief cut. So when the relief hits the hole, the blade flies open. Um, so that we make, I, I turn that on a lathe. Um, that's not, it, it's not a hard process, but it's a time consuming one. So a square button mechanism is not hard to build. It's just a time consuming mechanism to make. No, of course, a completely different mechanism. Um, fishtails. Uh, oh, the seven-inch Italian. So you've you've also made these these very small, and you you're you're a rather large individual. You have very big hands. But there's a picture on Instagram that you have a seven-inch Italian. Um, so I mean, is there any size of Italian that you haven't made? Uh, I think the smallest one is a seven-inch, and I think the largest pick lock that I've never made was a uh, twenty-inch. Oh wow. Okay. All right. That's yeah. That's that's sizable. Um, that's pretty big. So, so take us through a little bit about um, of of your history. We kind of jumped into the Italian thing here, but you started you started with Italians. Where did you go from Italians? I know I see some some fixed blades uh, that you've made in the past. Some some sub hilts, and uh, I think there was like a Skagel style in there. Um, <clears throat> fixed blades are easy to make. There's no springs. There's no components. There's no buttons. So. Um, those are very easy knives to make. You can make those with a blindfold compared to a folder where you have timing issues and lockup issues. Um, I've, I've never really jumped into the fixed blade because there's so much competition there that it doesn't make it, you know, worthwhile. Um, Walter Bren happens to be my, my god as far as grinding a blade. So I've always kind of mimicked his grinds in my fixed blades. And his fixed blades are so out of reach for the most, for the most uh, uh, blue collar man. Uh, say like a sub hill fighter from Walter will cost you about thirty five hundred bucks. I can build you the same knife as he, just as good and looks just as good for half that cost. Um, I'm not I'm not um, copying him, but my blade symmetry is similar and my grinds are similar. My handles are a little bit different. Um, as far as uh, other things after after Italians, I, I delved into liner locks and played with those for quite a bit. Built all kinds of various styles and various shapes, sizes of knives. Uh, Reese Wheeland was a factor in that. He helped me uh, produce a liner lock effectively. I spent time with him in his shop doing that. He taught me how to build the rocker mechanism that I use currently to this date for my sears and my buttons. Um, oh, I didn't. I didn't know that you. Um, okay, we we talked to Reese before. I did. I didn't know that you. Um, so you were down in Florida with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. How how long were you down there for? I was there for a long weekend. Also, came in on a Thursday, left on a Monday. Oh wow, that's awesome, man! Another another 
Switchblade royalty right there. That's uh, yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so you, so the the rocker mechanism you learn you learn from Reese. Yes. Oh, that's that's really neat. I I did not know that that was uh, I didn't know you did that. That's very cool. So okay, so liner locks and and rocker mechanism from from Reese, and then what was next? Uh, from then then on, I tried to get into out the fronts. I uh, started experimenting with how to get a mechanism work. Um, I would say it took me five years to get a mechanism to work just because they're so damn hard to time. Um, and if you're not going to copy someone else's mechanism, you have to create your own. So I took apart Microtex. Uh, there's, there's things in there that I didn't like. There were some things that I did like. Uh, James Brothers was pro probably my primary uh uh kind of um patterned after james brothers had an outstanding mechanism they had that sand shark where they shoved uh the blade into a five gallon drum probably oh, yeah. 50 times and that mechanism still worked you remember that absolutely sure. i yeah. know that was the shit man there's no knife right now except mine that you can do that with uh, microtech will explode if you do that so I took their mechanism and beefed it up and went from there with it because those guys went out of business. The, the, the two brothers didn't get along. They sued each other, got in a fist fight. I don't know what the, what the hell, but they went out of business. So I refined their mechanism, beefed it up, and that's the current mechanism that I use to this date all my out the fronts. That's, that's badass. I, I, I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember I think maybe 2013 – was was that the razor or were you doing them before before then that was the razor when the razor hit the scene yes and okay. prior to that I, I had probably five years of trying to get that oh, wow. mechanism to lock out and i just could not figure out a way to get friction to help me <laughs> uh, i had an epiphany one night and i i don't know what it was but it was like i had this dream and it was like remove five thousandths of a rail off the one side uh, and the mech would work. So I, I damn, I ran out uh, in my underwear out to my shop that night, took five thousandths off of a rail, and that fucker locked right up. So that was the, the end of the nightmare. So I keep using that same mechanism on all my out the fronts. So I just changed the body style now. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember, um, yeah, I remember in 2013, um, we were in New Hampshire, and I remember getting, um, like, Josh handed me, uh, like a green and a blue aluminum razor uh, to photograph. And I think those were probably like some of the very few ever custom OTFs that I had handled at the time other than other than Marfion's. Yeah, that was it. I mean, there's not – it's a pretty small category being almost none of, of custom OTFs out there um, that, are, that are available. And I remember seeing that um, – so Paul has this very distinct – uh, like skull with fangs and sometimes it's on fire uh, and you mm -hmm. mill that into the into the knives which is totally badass mm, uh, thank you. but yeah I know I totally remember the razor um, so then okay so from the razor it kind of like exploded too because you you were that was just the those aluminum razors that we had then that was just the start I mean you really you ran with it I mean you went you went to super high-end over-the-top materials with like your, your inlay work is something that really I don't think people understand inlays really in the knife world I think they just think they do because like mm -hmm. 
your higher end razors incorporate inlays and overlays. Let's mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about that. So you do overlays a lot, mm -hmm. like structural mm -hmm. 3D overlays. Yes. Um so that's basically instead of an inlay, so what what Paul does is an overlay. So it's this, it's uh oh the spinal t tell us about the Constantine knife. Sorry, that's that's what I was searching for. Uh the Constantine knife was um I forget which company was. Um, uh, name a couple production companies. I can't remember. Universal Pictures called me up and they wanted to build a knife for the Constantine television show. How the guy got my name, I have, I still don't have a clue, but it was the props manager. And he described to me what he wanted. And I said, well, I built a platform from that already, but I can wrap that with some Damascus and put a skull button on it and change the blade configuration quite a bit and it'll look like an antique archaic you know knife from whatever the style that you're asking me for to match it up and and uh, he liked that idea so i built it sent it to him and, and it was off the hook for him um he bought it the universal studios bought it and they used it in three episodes uh, of that show constantine on on tv so that was a great that was a good thing um, and from that, I just, I, I developed a couple of different variations of the Constantine knife with carbon fiber versus Damascus or whatever have you, and, and uh, made like a skiff uh, uh, midsection for it, where it looked like it had skiff uh, uh, sickles on the sides of it. So that's a very, very popular knife to this date uh, for me to build. Yeah, that that whole, like the, the three-piece frame um, mm -hmm. is totally far out. Again, something that people build three-piece frame OTFs once in a while, but like they don't take advantage of, like I feel like your OTF designs are pushing the artistic limits with almost everyone. Um, Thank you. Is that, how does that, how does that work? I mean, do you just, how do you come up with this stuff, man? I, you know, I don't know. I, it's just, it's just, I'll sit down and I'll just start drawing shit. And, you know, I'll look through, uh, Blade, not Blade Magazine, but the, the uh, what's the, what's the show, the annuals, uh, the book, and I'll, and I'll sit and I'll look and I'll get maybe a little curve from this guy or in a curve from that guy, and I'll just start drawing shit, and it just works, I guess, and if I like it, then it seems like it's a hit, but if I draw something, you know, that I don't like, I throw it away, um, but when I've drawn stuff that I personally like, which is kind of rare, um, it, it works and it sells. Hmm. Yeah, I mean it. It really does because uh, the the two toning or the in some cases tri toning you do um, on some of the uh, the Constantine razors or the scythe the scythe razors is far out because you you'll bead blast like one angle and then you'll satin the the top and then it will also have like yeah like an abalone inlay like yeah it's really I mean yeah the, the finishing is it's intense. Um, Thank you. I, th I think, you know, in today's market, you can't just be a knife maker. You also have to be an artist. And if you're not an artist, you can't survive in this, in this knife making industry. And I've always been able to make shapes and colors flow well together. Um, and that's, that's just been a blessing uh, for me to, to stay successful. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, knife makers that are good in mechanics, but they suck in artistry. Um, so I, not to downplay them, 
But uh, if you're not an artist and a knife maker, you can't survive in this industry full time. There's, there's just there's just no way. Yeah, no, I th- I think that's I think that's definitely true. It's you see a lot of knives that are similar in, in appearance in the tactical world, mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know right those those knives definitely have their place. But I don't I don't think they're there's not enough reaching going on. And I think with your knives, I see a lot of reaching. I see like a constant sort of, you know, I'm unhappy with something and I want to make it better all the time for the better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which brings me to another very interesting knife that we got from you. I don't remember the year, but it was one of the only knives I've seen like this. And actually we were talking with uh, Rainy last week about this, but it, it's a trap door OTF that you made. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was based off the original Italian trapdoor built in the 1940s, which I always thought was cool as hell. I love gadget factor on knives, and you can put gadget factor on a piece of shit, and it will sell simply because you're giving the client something to play with and to manipulate while the knife functions. So that original trapdoor knife was a pile of shit. It would hardly lock out and... and, um, Uh, work you know past 100 fires before it would fall apart but it had severe gadget factor so taking a couple of them apart i beefed up the design and just built it like a tank and but the downfall was it was so hard to produce that trap door with the timing that it just didn't I, i couldn't make it and make money i think i built 10 of them total um i still have the uh, cads for them all and i'm still looking and thinking of a way to build them uh cheaper and to make money but it it's not it's not hit me yet so um i built 10 of them i think and they were very uh awesome knives i, I really liked them you could you could uh, fire the blade the trap door would open and then uh when you would detract the blade in the double action form the uh, trap door would also shut with it and shut tight. That is very cool knife. A lot of gadget factor. Fucking awesome. So like, right. That's yeah. That's stuff that like, you just don't see that. Like nobody fucks with that. Like everyone, it's just not, it's beyond their mechanical concept of, of anything that's possible. I, I, I loved that. Thing. Where can I, people really go neat. to uh, see a picture of that? Is it online somewhere? Uh, There's some no. YouTube videos of them still up on that. You oh, could punch in. Uh, on YouTube, uh, uh, trap door knife, burn knives. Um, I will post. That's a good note. I will. Uh, I will post the PVK photos we have of that. I don't know that we were making videos then, but we have some great pictures of that trap hmm. door that I'll I'll throw up on um on Instagram. I do uh, believe you might actually have some uh, videos of that on YouTube. Oh, do we? Okay. Yeah. That's like that knife was I think cool there as are. heck. Um. Okay, rolling, rolling with the trapdoor. Let's let's roll right into the the trench knife. Tell us about that. The trench knife OTF. Yeah, trench knife came around. Um, I laid a one of my uh, knuckles on top of a razor, and I thought this would be a cool concept if I could if I could incorporate a knuckle into a razor knife on the chassis. Um, so I started making drawings and drew it up and it looked pretty good. And so I just, basically what it is, it's just a razor with a 3D, with one of my knuckles uh, stuck underneath the chassis side. Um, 
So we made that that had instant success because there's there was at the time nothing like that. You you see the World War II uh, trench knives everywhere, but you've never seen an automatic double action one like that. And um, all my knives have torque, serious torque, firing and ejecting, and that was just a really really cool knife. Um, I still have a lot of uh, of uh, I haven't made any for for quite some time. I'm getting ready to make some uh, some runs in some brass, uh, full brass, and uh, some Damascus ones for some clients. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a really cool knife. It was just something I could take to a show, and people could not take their hands off of that because there's nothing like it ever. You, that you've I would seen. love, yeah. I would love to get one of those from you. They're fucking awesome. Okay, just yeah, to be clear, are. there's no knife that is there's still like nothing that. like that. Nobody yeah, that builds like that. Um, I, Paul's the only person who's built it and I have never seen another one. And yeah, the, so, right. So that's the other thing. So not to get too distracted, but you also, I mean, you're a builder of, of knives, but you're also, you're a builder of, of things in general. Um, the, the knuckles, you know, so, okay. So you, you build brass knuckles and you build mm -hmm. them with inlays which is mm -hmm. great because you love uh, you love doing inlays, which is awesome yeah. because everything should always have fucking inlays. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, you so you've made titanium, steel, uh, aluminum. Anything else? No, those are the those are your three those are your three four finger knuckles, right? Yeah. Um. And then incorporating that into a knife is just it's nuts. The 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 trench knife OTF still gets a huge amount of comments on the, on the PVK YouTube. Like it's people, mm. people love that. Yeah. Um, okay. It's inlays. I posted tonight for this episode, I posted a picture and this is going to be tricky. It's uh, I think it's a mace that you did. And I think you'll remember this one. It's you did two of them. I think we got the carbon fiber one. I think we got the abalone one too, but you did striped almost tuxedo inlays in i think the aluminum mace frame you remember that one what's a mace frame you're calling so, sorry um I, it's maybe it's not it's uh is it a triangle frame no it's the it's the really prickly otf the really really big one the, the large vengeance vengeance sorry yes the vengeance um but you did a vengeance with these stripes of abalone and then you did another one with stripes of carbon fiber do you remember that one yeah I think that's that's the triangle framed one that I did. It's got three sides on the top and three sides on the back. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that was a very popular knife. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it was badass. I mean, that's that's taking the inlay thing to the next level because that had like four, eight. What did it have? Sixteen inlays on it. I think yeah, it had a pile of them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so when you cut inlays like that how, how, tell us a little bit about doing inlays just the maybe a little bit of the technical side uh what i do is i'll draw up a, a the frame on a piece of paper and i'll draw those shapes that i like um from there i'll have it i'll 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 take that piece of paper to my cad programmer and he'll cad program it and i'll tell him how deep i want it and where exactly i want them and then when he draws it up i'll approve it and then he'll cut those shapes into the frame of the chassis like that. And uh, whatever inlays we use, we'll cut from a sheet of abalone or a sheet of carbon fiber or a sheet of pearl. Uh, whatever inlay material that we're using, we'll cut from a sheet like that with the CNC also. Wow. That is 
Re- that's that's really cool. That that one that vengeance in particular always sticks out as just like the ideal example of of inlays. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's do the same thing. Let's jump back a little bit. So you were you were you hung out with Reese. You got your you got your liner lock and you got your your rocker mechanism. And then um, we were on to the OTFs. Uh, we skipped something though. Uh, ballet songs. You make ballet those songs. as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you get into that? That was um, you remember that Jaguar? It was called a Jaguar, and it was basically a Pakistan piece of shit ballet song with the uh, holes all the way down the scale side. Do you remember that? Absolutely, yep. Okay, so I loved that knife all my life. I loved it, but it was an absolute piece of shit. It would fall apart after 50 swings or you flicking it around. So I took that apart one time and, and tried making it. I could not do it. So uh, I met this kid at the time whose name, uh, um, let me think of his name, Salvatore. Uh, Santiago? Santiago, yes. And he happened to live only 40 minutes from me at the time when I was living in Ohio. So I called him up and said, hey, dude, here's my name. Here's what I do. And he knew me. I said, I'd like to come down, check your stuff out, and have you kind of teach me the mechanics of the ballet song a little bit. Would you be interested? He said, sure. So I went down to his, his home. He was in this little piece of shit garage with about, I mean, damn, 400 square feet. Um, so he gave me some paper, drew me up some stuff, taught me the mechanics of it, uh, right there in the shop. So I went home, plugged it into my CNC and and just started building them from there. Um, once I learned the pivots and stuff, which is what I lacked, which is what he showed me. Um, I was, I was just right off and banging from there. Um, and I made, I recreated that Jaguar knife, heavy, heavy duty from a piece, the, the, uh, uh, the handles are, are milled from a three-quarter by three-quarter piece of stainless steel each side. And those holes are integral to the handle. And, and the inlays are just something that, that snap over top of the, the milled holes that are uh, recessed above. Uh, so it's a very, very solid knife. It's just an absolutely beautiful knife. Um, I put them in the hands of people that say that they're that are flippers. I don't know. I'm not a flipper, but they say my knives are a little too heavy to be flippable, I guess you could say. Uh, but my, but all, but true to my form, all my knives are built heavy and like tanks. Um, I have no problem uh, flipping it, you know, open and closed and sideways and backwards. But as far as twirling up and down and letting it leave your hand and shit, they say it's an unbalanced knife for them and it can't be done. But hmm. uh, I don't know. Well, they look fucking awesome. That's what I say. They look fucking awesome, and who cares if you can flip it between your neck and through the fucking sky? I mean, when you're flipping that thing around your neck, someone's going to shoot you in the head with a damn forty-five. So who gives a shit? That's spirit, pretty much. Boom. That's exactly ah, what's going to happen. That's, that's it. So I, yeah, the so the blades, the handles. I mean, you really there's you have some really interesting swoopy belly recurve blades you did with the ballets. Um, yeah. You, you did some compound grinds too. Yes. And, okay, so mirror polishing, that's another thing. Um, you have a very distinct uh, – you love daggers, and the, the mirror polish is something that you, that you do really well. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of a pain in the ass is that? It's, it's a long pain in the ass, and it requires a very good and expensive belts. Um, I'll start uh, – I will grind a blade, a uh, start blade with a, with a 60 grit 
uh, 777M Cubitron uh, belt, very aggressive belt. Uh, I'll put the initial grind on with that, then I'll heat treat it. Then I'll come back with Micron belts and I'll start from 100 grit and I'll go all the way up to a 2000 grit belt. And that's, that's about seven belts, um, each grit sanding each grind. Um, once I hit that last belt at 2000, you can already see your face in the grind. Then I'll take it over to polishing wheels and polish it out, uh, with compound, uh, rouge until I can see my face in it. Um, it's, it's, it's time consuming. It's not hard. It's just a very time consuming process. And a lot of makers don't like to do that. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it seems really intensive to get that, that, that real sheen to it like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's, a lot it's of work. the extra step, you know, that's, that's kind of what counts on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, I mean, so in, in your timeline, so, I mean, you, you worked with Reese Wayland, you work with David Santiago for the ballet songs. Are there mm-hmm. any other makers that you, that you talk to, 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 to get, uh, inspiration mechanically or artistically? Uh, Jerry Rados was the very first that's, one. Yep. He's probably your pro- one of your top five makers in the whole world, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, even though he's gone recluse now, back in the '90s, he was the shit. I mean, him and him and uh, Rainey's dad. What's Rainey's dad's name? Oh, Butch Butch Valentin. Butch Butch Valentin. Yeah, those guys were the were the godfathers of of knife making back then. That's true. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. Just those three, I think, is is it. I just I just uh, self taught um, from you know learning from mistakes like everybody else. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so you made, um, you made a, a barrel knife. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you about that. You got it. You got to tell us, tell us about the barrel knife. Tell, tell the listeners is what a barrel knife is. The twisty guy, the twisty one. No, the no. The barrel is... knife is a really funky knife. I mean, it's nothing like you would expect anything that you would ever see from any maker on the planet. And I had this old man, the elderly fellow who's in his 70s, who's dying of cancer, and he wanted me to make him a barrel knife, and I didn't even know what the hell it was. So he sent me pictures of ones that were made in Sweden that were actually round. And I was just captivated by the concept of the thing. It just looked so cool, but I thought it was kind of an ugly-looking style. So I asked him if I could make it shaped like a grenade and then uh, put you know corners and 45s on it. Um, so he allowed me to, and I think I crashed maybe three knives before or three bodies before I came to the body style that I liked that he liked. And, and, uh, it just, it went from there. I think I've only made five of them. Uh, but it's a really cool knife. It's that goes back to that gadget factor, man, where you can gadget factor it. You know, there's a lot of, you pull the knife out, you, you put it into a fixed blade and then you shove it back into the barrel knife. It it locks, and you can hear a clicking noise when it locks up. It's just really cool to play with. It it, it is really the what was the you what was the wood you used? Was it wood for the for the handle? Yeah, yeah. The first one was made of wood. I can't even tell you what the hell that what it was. I think bird's eye maple, maybe. I bird's can't remember. Eye. I was gonna say that or like snake wood, but I don't think that's right. Um. Yeah, the the barrel knife is such an intriguing design. I've handled a couple uh, antique ones, like maybe that guy had, because somebody brought one into the shop one time, and then we also bought some from Angelo. Angelo came to Shot Show yeah. once and and sold us some, 
but it's just the weirdest little thing. It's it's if you can imagine like yeah, like like literally like a keg, like a like a beer barrel. And then there's like a ring pull at the bottom and you pull the ring and then there's like a folded knife inside the barrel and then yeah. you, you manually pivot the blade open and then slide that whole assembly back into the barrel and then you you're holding like a barrel with like a ring at the bottom and then like a stiletto blade sticking out. It's a so impractical. It's not even funny. I don't, <laughs> whoever invented it, I don't, yeah, it was the same thing. They were just like trying to build something that no one else had built before. And then, yeah. And then I saw it's so fun to manipulate that or to deploy it though. It's so much fun. Oh yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's definitely like that classic, uh, sort of classic feel. It's, it's just a, it's a strange, it's a strange knife. Um, yeah. And, okay, I've got so, a couple orders on uh, up ahead that I'm building those in carbon fire for carbon oh. fiber for a couple of clients up ahead. Oh really? Oh that's that's awesome. That uh, that's so cool to see people get engaged with barrel knives. Like mm -hmm. that's that's great. I'm like looking all over Google <laughs> to find any sort of barrel knife. I can't figure this out. No, it's you pro. It's a very obscure. It, there, very there's, obscure. There's a video. A very uh, rare looking style knife. Very yeah, rare. on Paul's feed, there's the one that he did, but it's not. Yeah, you can't really just find them. Um, okay, so let's let's roll with let's roll with interesting and strange knives. Let's go for it. Okay. Um, oh wait, oh, before you can say, is it one of those knives that kind of extend out? Uh, from the the handle kind of extends out, and you flip it over. No. Uh, okay. Never it's, mind. It's a very. I'll. I'll yeah. So okay. So let's let's go with let's go with. Uh, so you made another knife, um, or a, a launcher, if you will, um, that yeah. again is just a, very much in your style. You're just attacking something that nobody else is going to do. So you made a ballistic knife. You want to talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, Josh, uh, for years, hounded Josh. I'm talking to Jeremiah, right? That's correct. Yep. Your yeah, your older brother gave me one from. And I even remember that knife in the uh, the little folder that they would send out, the Edge Company. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and it was in sure. there. And he sent me an original Edge Company ballistic knife and said, can you make something like this, only heavy duty, put your burn spin on it? And I said, well, hell yeah. You, you know, give me a couple minutes. So we played with it. Um, just started tracking down, you know, tube style and all that shit. Uh, started making one, putting one together, and um, we basically took the edge style and beefed it up to like the size of a tank. Um, we put a different trigger on it that was that was more safe. Um, I put a safety on it, which the original one doesn't have, and that's a da dangerous ass knife. Um, we put carbon fiber sleeves over top of the blade. I hollow, I hollow ground the blade where it, they were flat ground on the edge company kind of like a little thin eighth inch blade. Mine were three sixteenths thick blades, um, hollow ground. Um, put a heavy ass spring in it that you'd have to weigh like almost 300 pounds to close the spring and shut the thing. Um, but yeah, at 10 feet away, that would penetrate a half inch sheet of hardwood plywood, which will kill you um, at 10 feet. I don't care where you hit the person they're going to the hospital or to the ER immediately for ruptured bloodlines or whatever. And it was a dangerous ass knife. And the laws on that knife today are you don't pass go or nothing. You go right to fucking jail. If you get that, I mean, imagine 
you're drunk at night and you lay that damn knife on your coffee table and your little kid picks it up and pushes a button and it goes through their eye. Who are they coming after? Not dad, the guy that made that damn thing. So what we did is we marketed it as a, uh, or Josh did as a spear. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a harpoon uh, launcher. Harpoon launcher, yeah. So I built this funky ass little harpoon blade or little throw thing on it. And he marketed it as that and then would backdoor you the blade with it like that. And he never really, uh, he put it on, he puts it on a site every once in a while. I don't even know if he has any more stock or not, or if he's, you know, piling it or whatever, but every once in a while he'll put it up. Um, and uh, I've had a ton of people uh, ask me to make those things. I think I made 30 of them for Josh at one time in solid brass. I made some in stainless steel and the rest were all aluminum. Um, but they were very, they were very, they're cool knives. Uh, you could launch it, you know, just straight up in the air and that blade would go up into the air until you couldn't even see it anymore. And then just suddenly fall at your feet stuck in the ground. So they're very, they're very powerful uh, knives. They were, they're fun to make. It's just the, the, the legalities of that knife scares the shit out of me. And I don't want to spend my, my life in prison, you know, over shit like that. So I haven't made any sense. I, I still have the prototype uh, in my possession and some parts to assemble maybe two or three, but I just haven't messed with them ever since. Yeah. I, re I remember when we got those and um, Josh and I were messing around and um, you're absolutely right. You, you, it takes your entire body weight to close it. Uh, and then once it's armed and you fire it, I would not want to be on the business end. Cause yeah, yeah we, no we were, we were in the shop and, and it'll absolutely the spring on that thing is uh Yeah half inch plywood no problem it's the blade yeah. the blade on yours is a lot beefier than on on the old edge co one you know yeah and a safety is a is a damn good thing to have on it because oh, one does not have that i wanted to put three safeties on that thing i was so <laughs> damn scared of it after i get it charged you know just holding it just putting the safety on i was shaking you know nervous so just, shooting my own a fucking eye out with yeah it. so just just in case and i again i find this hard to believe but if a listener is not familiar with what we're talking about google it immediately but basically there's a basically like a like a spring um like a like a handgun like a pistol uh slide spring times 10 no times 20 and you you load the blade against the spring into the handle so once the knife is loaded, uh, you would hold it, and it's a tube, and your thumb kind of sits on this latch. And the original one didn't have a safety, so you're basically just holding a tube with a, I don't know, 100-pound spring-loaded like blade with no safety. And Paul's thankfully yeah. has a safety, because as soon as you've loaded this thing, it's under pressure and, until you fire it. Fire, yeah. So, yeah. So it's... Like, oh, it's shit. Yeah, you want to have a safety. That's good. That's very good. Um, okay, so we got yeah, we covered that one, which is totally bad. I think we I think we have like maybe five left. They they go up periodically, and um, it's a great thing to maybe uh, perhaps have in Vegas once in a while for the right celebrity customer who's looking for something yeah. very interesting. So, we, yeah. you know, we, we sort of, we have a couple left and we just hold on to them for, for special guests. Uh, mm -hmm. So going along those lines, um, most of the standard side opening Italians are all 
those are leaf spring fired knives. Yeah. But you have made, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have made a coil fired automatic as well. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that a little bit because that's a very important. Um, there's coil fired and then there's leaf spring fired automatic. So let, let's let's talk about that coil fired. Well, first, nothing compares to the strength and power of a leaf spring. A coil doesn't even um, come compare to it. But a coil is excellent for a small knife that you want to build thin with a small blade and a small handle. Um, and a heavy coil will deploy that blade very easily and very fast. Um, so I've used coils in that matter um, for smaller knives like that, and it works out excellent. Um, uh, it's not a, you can buy the coils, you know, uh, in various weights and thicknesses, and that helps out quite a bit. Um, so there's not a lot of math involved in, in figuring out how fast you want to make it fly open or what have you like that. But coils do not work well for a large blade, like a, uh, you've seen some of the Microtech SOCOMs that were in the past fired or still fired by coils, and they're very slow. Uh, very sluggish, but if you put those coils into a small knife, and they're they're very fast and have lots of torque, so coils are excellent for small knives, in my opinion, but not good for big knives. Right. Yeah. I mean the the Italians, the forty five centimeter Italians, those are all leaf spring fired. Yeah. That's like you need you need some serious kick to get a blade of uh, that that thick and that long out of there. Oh yeah. Um, but so, I mean, that's just neat that you, because, I mean, as far as automatics go, are there, is there any type of automatic knife you haven't made? Yeah, there's one your brother's still nagging me to get, and he oh. wants a uh, Tomb Raider knife. Oh, that's right. Jesus. Which I've, I've drawn up. I just got to get it put into CAD now. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of doing that. Um, past that, I've got a couple other designs I want to put into market. Um, and I want to hit the single action out the front market here pretty shortly. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't think I've seen a single action from you. Nope, never have, but I'm going to. People right. are asking me for it, so got to feed the masses. Right. The Tomb Raider thing is funny. That's like a – he has like this thing of the fucking Tomb Raider knife. So a Tomb Raider knife or the Tomb Raider knife that Josh is speaking of, because you've actually made a single knuckle dual action – um, yeah. but the Tomb Raider knife that he's talking about for those who are not familiar is from the movie Tomb Raider. Thus the name It has like a, it's a knuckle that you can remove from the knife. So it's like, yes. it's, it's basically a single knuckle dual action OTF, but the knuckle can be removed. And I'm sure that Paul will figure out a way to do that. Um, but it's essentially so you can you can punch somebody when the knife is closed, maybe remove that to more easily stab somebody. I can't imagine the concept behind it, but it is it's a huge gadget factor. With, with yeah, that that's what I was gonna say. Big gadget factor. Yeah. It's just the end. It's your index finger ring up there up on the top of the knife that right. you can take on or off and hold, um, and get a better grip with it. And the button is on the side of the knife, not the, not the top of the chassis. More like a side deployed Microtech. Right. I mean, maybe, I guess you might be able to do like a single finger knuck if it wasn't maybe a knuck in one hand, a knife in the other. I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it, that, that, that might be a, a little little beyond the... Uh, oh, I found it. It's the 1990 vintage Tomb Raider NATO 
Yes. Knife with the single finger. Okay. Yeah. It's um, yeah. it's pretty custom actually. Custom. Um okay. So um knuckles. So you tell us a little bit about your knuckle work. So you make four finger, single finger, double finger. How how did you how did you get into knuckles? Where where did the interest come from there? Uh, again, from your brother, Josh, Josh is, you know, the marketing executive of my world. It seems like he knows what sells and what doesn't. So he'll send me an idea and then I'll wrap my style around his idea. So he said, make me a four, a four thing, uh, four ring or four finger knuckle. And he sent me the Constantine one from the Constantine movie with all that, oh, yeah. uh, I remember that satanic shit all over it. Yeah. Yeah. The cast. So, ones. so I, I like the style of that. Um, but I liked square edges. So I squared up the edges of the front of it and just made it heavy duty. Um, cut one out of steel for the first op and half inch and it was just badass. Um, and then now recently I just, uh, started making them out of three quarter inch steel and brass. Um, which your brother's got a big order on, on those coming out. Um, but damn, I mean, do you, have you guys all seen the, uh, Sly Stallone movie, um, where he's got all the actors in it? What's that called? The, oh, with the uh, Expandables. Yeah. Yeah. Expandables. Yeah. Expandables. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was number two or three where they were in a broken down bar and these two big seven foot guys come at him and Jason Statham. Do you remember that? Mm, vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. In the bar is a broken down bar. Okay. Well, Jason pulls out this case and he and he gives Sly a knuckle and he takes oh, a knuckle shit. and they both smile at each other, and then they go to beating the shit out of these seven foot, three hundred pound guys with those knuckles and they were making sound effects where you could hear their their faces caving in and the bone shattering in their noses, and it was just, I mean, it was just absolutely awesome. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I I like that scene, and there's a lot of scenes with knuckles, you know, where guys get punched out with them. Uh, there was one uh, a whiskey movie of uh, with Tom Harding, I think it was called. Uh, well, they were bootleggers or something, but he smacked a guy in the face with it, and they they gave you a sound effect of the of the guy's nose crushing it. I just think it's cool. I'm not a sadistic person by nature, and I'm not a killer or a murderer. But when you see that kind of shit, it's like, damn, wow. <laughs> um, so I like that. I love that cool shit, you know, where it's just, holy shit. Uh, I got to have one of those, even if it's a paperweight on my desk or something, you know. Right, right. Uh, so sure. my knuckles have always been very popular for that, for that reason, for the, for the, the, the shape of them. Hmm. And then we do a 3D mill skull logo with uh, carbon fiber inlays, or we've been even done abalone and some Kevlar stuff. That's pretty awesome. All right. So at this point, I think we're going to have to absolutely just dive into it. So how long have you known Josh for? <laughs> uh, Josh, I bought my first custom knife off of Josh in 1998, which was the same year I became a custom knife maker. So that was 21 years ago. I still have his original pamphlet that he sent me and back from 1998, which he's still trying to buy from me because he doesn't have any more of them. But I've got, I have his cute little handsome face up on the top brochure when, before he was all tattooed up and, and, and looked like a piece of shit, but now he, he was a real handsome looking businessman. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, uh, what the hell was that? I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Jared, can we just sound like that and send that to Josh? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Was that was that the same? Was that the catalog where there's a picture of a guy throwing a knife at a birdhouse? 
No. No, different one? No, okay. it was his first pamphlet that he ever made, and it was his entire body and face picture up on oh. the on the front page. Okay, did he have the white shirt with, like, the sport coat on? Yes, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I remember that one. Okay, all right. Yeah. I think the knife was a Pro-Tech. It was a Pro-Tech knife or something like that. Oh, man. Where, okay, so where did you buy that knife, though? Where, where did it come I, from? I bought that off of Josh. I bought it from his knife-making company. Wow. And then told him that, hey, I'm making these Italians. Would you like to see them? And I showed him, and he says, yeah, those are pretty cool. Why don't you send me one? So I did, and he ordered four of them. <laughs> so that's where our relationship started right there in 1998, just like that. That's that's pretty badass. I mean, so, uh, yeah. and tell us a little bit. So, blade auction used to be oh, a thing, blade man. auction. Damn, <laughs> that that was the fucking shit back in the day. I mean, everybody sold their knives on there. There was so much access from clients, from I mean, white collar to blue collar to whatever. Everybody was on there buying knives, and you could hang a knife on there and sell it in an hour for you know was the maximum amount that your market allowed you to um i man i missed that but josh said that was just an absolute nightmare attending and stuff but i think that's a lot of uh the automatic world that we know today came out of that damn blade auction because he really introduced uh massively uh automatics to the internet world through that blade auction there was nothing like that going on back in that day and i think that's why it got so popular like that yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably have to agree with you on, on, on that statement, and definitely being, a, yeah, just a huge pain in the ass to run. We, we, we tried to, we looked into restarting that in like 2011, and it was just like mm -hmm. a, it was a huge hassle. Yeah, because he still owns the URL, and that was kind of like the time when I, when I started to full time, get in with the company, and he was like, here, deal with this, and I was like, all right. It, yeah. was, it was just like a total, yeah, like an auction site. I don't know. It was a weird time for the company, but yeah, man, blade auction comes up a lot when we talk to guys who make automatics. I think that was definitely like a, a portal for a lot of collectors and a lot, a oh, lot yeah. of makers to just get into it. Yeah. Man, that's good time. Yep, so, I mean, that, yeah, was, that's, that was something where you could come into blade auction as a complete unknown maker and thrive from that. If you were any good at making a knife. Yeah, no, I mean, totally. Um, so, I was just actually talking to a customer about this recently. Um, did you ever, this is a total, total side note. Did you ever meet Slow Joe? Oh yeah. I used to go to his house all the time. Holy he, shit. He really? came to my house. Oh wow. Okay. That's really neat. Cause I just, so I, I've, I purchased a couple of Slow Joes from, uh, from a collection. I think he unfortunately passed away, but, um, cause he does, or he, he was was he doing how i i don't know a whole lot about him but i would mm -hmm. how old was he when you were talking to him he was in his 60s when i was with oh. him and i i taught him a little bit on how to make the knives because he was oh, buying shit. them only for me and then he would come to my house and i'd show him how to shape a bolster or cut a cut a scale into and then he eventually started doing them on his own wow he got pretty good at it. he was customizing of course right. he wasn't building scratch knives but i think they're all customizations off SKM frames and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, he would buy like um like the anniversary campolins and then like yeah. yeah, he would swap the bolsters out. Nothing to the level of what you were doing, but it was it was its own sort of uh interesting sort of uh, a lot of people collected his work. Um it was yeah. 
Yeah. Wow, that's I didn't I didn't know you were directly. That's that's really cool. Very good friends with him. Yeah, very huh. good friends. Okay. Um, again, listeners, you're just gonna have to Google it, and I will tell you what nothing's gonna come up because Slow Joe is not like that's some obscure stuff. But I'll post some pictures of it. Uh, huh? That's really cool. So Blade Auction, uh, Slow Joe. So. But during the blade auction years, that was so that you were starting to customize. Were you selling, were you, were you selling full blown Italians on blade auction at a point? I was there, yeah. Uh, I did there when I first had my start. I did, and then when I got my website, I just brought everything over to my website and went off that. Nice. Okay. All right. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to brief on one other thing. So. A, a large part of your work, which I also find really badass, is um, skulls. So you have 3D um, skulls that you incorporate into the buttons, into the handles. I mean, that's t- tell us a little bit about the, the art that goes in into some of that. Um, those are just like, uh, I'll pull drawings off of... Uh a Google search and I'll find a skull that I like and then modify it somewhat through with Photoshop. And then we'll make, we'll cut the eyes deep or the mouth deep or make the outside edges deep or something like that to make it kind of 3d to give it like a 3d image when it's engraved. Um, but the, our CAD programs on the CNC does all that engraving um, with different depths. So we would experiment with different depths of engraving, how to cut, how deep to cut the eyes how deep to cut the mouth and just a lot of, of experimenting like that till we found something that we really liked. Um, and we still do that to date with different skulls, but we now have a, a, a skull logo that I use exclusively um, that we put on most of the knives via their stamped or engraved. Um, and uh, just, it just morphed from, you know, something simple and, and, and uh, the, the CAD programming turned it into something that was, three-dimensional and really cool that's far out so you're those little the little skulls on the otf buttons those are all 3d machined uh no the otf buttons are actually made from sterling silver and i have a jeweler that i hired to create that for me so i have a jeweler that makes those for me out of sterling silver with a bullet hole in it and i buy them from him exclusively he makes them uh, for me exclusively only and I, I uh, will weld or solder them to button platforms or whatever have you. There was one last thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, so as a as a maker of all things, um, we got a bunch of really cool, super high-end screwdrivers from you. Um, oh, yeah. Is that, was that a Josh thing? No, that was not. That okay. was um, something I was surfing IG – and I came across this guy named Berger. Is that, am I saying his name right? Yep. Uh, Greg Berg. Oh, Greg Berg. That was what, what's his name? Greg Berg. Greg Berg. Okay, so I saw these uh, drivers like that he was making. I thought, man, those are pretty cool. I don't think I want to make some, you know, change the style up a little bit and do whatever. So um, I bought a broaching tool, which is what you need to cut that, uh, that indexed, uh, hex bit into on a lathe. So um, it just so happened that my employee was, uh, had already known how to do that style of cutting. 
So uh, we bought some tubes and some solid material, started cutting them out. And then I had a gunsmith uh, that I like really well who cuts like snake skin engraving into the handles of a, of a 1911. Had a different couple styles called grenade and stuff like that. So uh, I asked him if I could use his designs on my uh, drivers and he allowed me to. So we started cutting snake skin and stuff around the handles and grenade styles around the handles, made our own head and uh, put bearings into it. Now I caught a lot of shit from that guy, Berger, or whatever his name is, uh, telling me that I was copying his stuff, but a screwdriver is a damn screwdriver, right? I mean, how many screwdrivers are in um, different names of companies? And my style was quite a bit different from his. His were short and fat, and mine were long and skinny. And my heads had uh, my burn logo with a uh, like a six-cylinder shooting gun style fluting around the side. So you can tell mine apart from his, certainly. Uh, but we started making those, and they became good tools for me to use. Um, and I, I've got six or seven of them, uh, six or seven of them that I personally use to put my knives together. And we sold a shitload of those things right off the bat. But for whatever reason, they went stale. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if it was burgers giving me shit over copying. Nah, it, it, it became a pretty saturated market shortly after oh. they became like the, the, the whole custom driver thing yeah. became popular. Well, I noticed now there's a lot of guys making drivers like that now. And I've Josh sent me one that I didn't even know the guy's name. So, um, maybe that's what it was that just got saturated too quickly. I don't know, but those are fun to make and they're really cool tools. I really, uh, like kicking them out like that in different materials. That's a good, that's a good bridge. What's your, what's your favorite material to use? What's your favorite, uh, inlay or overlay or any, any kind of material? Mm, I can't say I have a favorite one. It just, it depends on the look of the knife and the look I'm trying to achieve. It, it would be, Juma snake skin on one and you know abalone on a different one it just depends on the look that you're trying to look if you want to what what's your focal point you want the inlay to be the focal point or the overall style design shape of the body to be the focal point so it helps to not get a knife to be to where it's too excessively loud to look at but you want something to focus in upon and I, I like to say that my knives, when you hold them in your hand, when you turn them over from side to side, you're going to find something that you didn't see the first time that you looked at it. There's a lot of detail on the knife and there's a lot of, uh, there's a main focal point, be it the inlay shape or the material used or the overall design and style of the knife. Um, so I like to keep a medium edge between all that kind of stuff and just let it flow softly and not too loud and obnoxious. Um, so sometimes that gets hard to do. And I can't say that I have a favorite inlay material. I just, uh, I just like a, a knife to be exotic and styled to, for someone to say, wow, when they hold it, uh, no matter what inlay, I guess I'm using. Let's rephrase this. What's the material you hate working with? Yeah. Uh, titanium. It's a motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, there really? You go. Oh, I, I, that's all I work with. So that's for me. It's fine. I, I thought you were gonna say like mammoth or something. Every time I work oh, with it, I hate it. Yeah. Oh, what's even worse than that is that what's the what's the black shit? Oh, now carbon fiber. No, it's a it's a metal. Zirconium. Oh, zirconium. zirconium. Damn! I almost burned down my fucking shop doing that shit. We were turning it on a lathe, 
and my yeah, client the lathe likes the the, the sparking pretty it, bad. Yeah, it was sparking. It was throwing a bunch of chips, and it had a bunch of you know wires of the shit turned in a pile, and a spark hit that pile and just went poof. And a couple seconds later, my entire wall was on fucking fire, man. And uh, I could hear the flames roaring, but I wasn't sure. So Nick says, hey, Paul, we're on fire out here. So I grabbed the fire extinguisher, came out, and damn, the half the shop was on fire. So we extinguished it and had white shit in the shop for about six months that we're still brooming out after all that stuff. So that is some nasty shit, man. Yeah, I've done that too, but the, the, the zirconium with titanium mix, the black Damascus or the zircotite, that's yeah. worse because the oh, zirconium yeah. piles up with the titanium makes it a nightmare. Yeah. I've almost burned through the bottom of my house with that with the stuff. I had yeah. it burn through and then I had the fire inside my coolant tray, so that fire won't go out with water. Yeah. And I'm no, panicking knowing that it melts through metal, and I'm like, if fuck it, if this thing melts through the bottom <laughs> of my CNC, I'm have 30 gallons of coolant on the floor and I'm welding that thing. I know, uh, and then a fifty thousand dollar machine past that—that's scary shit, man. Yeah, I was like, I don't, uh, like, I don't, I don't like working with it. it I, just, I guess I have to rephrase it. Zirconium's my my right. nasty. Zirconium's—that's that's the forget it material. Yeah, that's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um. I okay. I have a question. Do you still do you still collect knives, or is it just like can you just not even? Is it? Too I far? still collect knives. I love. And I hate to say it, I love SOCOM Microtext. Oh boy, there it is. And uh, I love the. Uh, so does Jeremiah. I've just got an. Uh, uh, I've. I think I've had maybe damn near fifty of them at one time. Um, I've had the Bren grinds, which were just stunning. Um, but I could never, you know, allow myself to use them for anything. So I just stared at them, and it just. It, I can't do that. So I started using them, putting scratches on them, and then ended up having to, you know, regrind a couple of them that are ruined. And uh, so now I just buy uh, whatever the latest one is, and I, I beat the shit out of it. And uh, I still love them, the Tanto blade ones. I don't like the any other blade style but the Tanto SOCOMs. But any style SOCOM, manual, I love it. Can't help it. Tony even sent me one. He heard that through the grapevine and mailed me one with his signature on one. I felt like a dumbass. <laughs> uh, that's that's but, a that's a nice thing to do though. That's legit. Uh, I guess so. It was either that or a fuck you statement from him. I don't know. <laughs> that's I don't know which it was. On that one. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. No, Tanto. Yeah, that's what I I carry every day. Is a I've got a bunch on my desk right now. Tanto Socoms, full serrated, yeah. partially serrated, plain edge. They're great. It's a awesome yeah. pocket. Do they make the minis yet? I want a mini Tanto SoCom. They keep threatening to make the minis again, but yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, what's the What's the oldest switchblade in your collection, Paul? Uh, the oldest one. I don't have any more of the old antique ones. I sold them all off. Um, but the oldest ones that I had were were was a Wasp um, Rizzuto, which I think went back to maybe forties. I think pretty way back when, and I don't even think it was called a risotto back then. It was something else because it come out of Italy and not Mexico. Mexico took the took it and called it a risotto and and styled it, you know, into the movie knife that we all see today with the swing guard on it. Right. So the epoch again, the epoch of Italian knives is so intense that it's almost impossible to describe. 
but a wasp body is a particular shape of Italian stiletto. And the Rizzuto is a totally famous movie knife, exactly. And it, it would make sense that it, it would come out of Mexico, and they gave it this very Italian name, so you didn't forget that it was an Italian knife. And it was mm-hmm. this, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a plastic-handled, like, swing guard thing. But it's, like, in every movie. It was in, like, Sin City. They, they had yeah. it just to, like, reference, like, you know, decades of the Rizzuto knife in every movie yeah. that a bad guy has ever had a knife in. Um, right. That shoot, that knife was probably the reason that half of the knife laws were instituted. Oh yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, Italians are yeah. Forget about it. It's, uh, so, do you ever do you ever have any Latamas? You know Walt. Yeah, I built I built the first ten uh, when he bought the company. I built oh, uh, ten Latamas for him after the name Latama in the in the fashion of Latama, ten square blades. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very good friends with Walter. Oh, damn. I had no, so you built like the, the prototype, uh, you built basically essentially prototype Latamas. Yeah. I mean, wow. if you want to say that a pure collector, isn't going to like me saying that, Sure. but well. when he bought the name from, um, Samuel Polk and, and, uh, owns now Latama company, he had me, he commissioned 10 square blade Latamas uh from him from me for his company wow dude that's pretty that's that's pretty cool i gotta say yeah under under the name latama the original stamp latama so that was pretty cool that was that was mind-blowing for me huh because i mean that's like that's real like that's real italian history right there uh Mm -hmm. damn yeah we were uh yeah i just i was saying to rainy i just found a bunch of the old um original copies of the newsletter um in the shop in vegas and i set them aside there's old pvk advertisements in them yeah that's pretty pretty neat uh very very cool um well shoot man uh what's okay so you're talking about making single action otfs what's um is that is that the knife if 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 you were going to make any knife next is that is that your next knife is a single action otf no, my next one will be that Tomb Raider one that'll be okay. coming out here shortly in the fall. All right. I just now started working on a single action out the front, so it's it's it'll probably be uh, uh, Christmas time before that comes out. Oh, all right, cool. Oh, and the the tomahawk, obviously, right? So the tomahawk is your is your sort of latest non-automatic. Yeah, in the flipper market. Right. Uh, frame, and so you've been brazing. You've been brazing things onto it. Obviously, you have uh, overlays in your classic style, but so I saw a couple have brazed on brass knuckles, which I gotta say, it's it's pretty neat. It's like the knife has a tattoo, but it's like a three D tattoo. I, yeah, I think it's, I think yeah, it's pretty cool. That's a good cool. way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and those right, so those are flippers, and then some of those also have compound grinds. Yeah, all of them do. Yep. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, now that. You made a flipper before, and I'm totally blanking out on the name, um, but it was a small-sized, maybe it was like the Tomahawk V1 that we had. Yep, it was called a broadhead, broadhead. and that's what the Tomahawk was actually designed from, was the broadhead. Okay, that was it. I took me a second, took me a second there, but um, the broadhead, right. Badass, dude. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to do a three-inch. We're going to do a smaller model of the Tomahawk now with a three-inch blade. 
And then I've got one um, with a five inch blade, just like a monster fucking humongous ass knife. Oh, the, wow. The large version of the tomahawk. Okay. Yeah, go for, for it. For shits and giggles, you know? <laughs> sure. Fuck it. Why not? Um, okay. And then I had a mechanism question. So your stingray is, so that's the same, is that the same sort of jackhammer mechanism that's in the razor? Uh, same, same mechanism, only it's got a, it's got a, it's got a refined rail system. The razor still has the old rail system that I, that I started with, but the vengeance and the Italians and the, uh, stingray have, have a newer refined rail system, much easier to time and works a whole lot better and smoother. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Cause the, the stingray, the body type on the stingray is more, it's like almost more compact, I want to say, in, in one way than the razor, or maybe it's just like, it just seems that way. Yeah, it's, com- it's completely different looking okay. than, than a razor, that's for sure. Yeah. More like a sort of box life and streamlined, and then obviously you incorporated the, the, um, the actual Stingray uh, yeah. logo into it, which is also very great. Um, it's pretty neat. All right. So, um... So you got a lot of stuff coming and wow. Okay. So let's, let's brief over shows really quick. Um, so what shows blade show, how, how, what's your blade show look like? How long have you been going to blade show? Uh, I, I my first one was in 1998. I think I've went to maybe 10 of them since then from to, to date. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that show cost me about three grand to go to go to to attend, and it does me absolutely no good or worse of sales than I do sitting at home in my ass not spending three grand. It's just a <laughs> it's just a way for me to where I like to go to, and I get to meet the people that I'm selling to, and then I get to see all of my knife making friends. So it's more of a, a vacation, I think, for me than it is a venue of going and making sales. I don't sell any more knives at blade show than I do uh, at home off of my computer, Hmm. even though I'll sell out what what I take. um, It's, it's hard for me to go to that show because I hardly ever have any, anything in stock and I bust my ass for two months working 12 hour nights, um, you know, making knives that I can take to the show. So uh, it's exhausting for me, but when I get there, I'm, I'm glad that I went. And uh, a lot of the people that I meet, I love to see. So nice. That's a uh, yeah, that works, man. Like at some point, yeah, we're we're all just going to the knife show for the knives, but then eventually it's just to hang out with our hang out with friends, hang out with friends, yeah. and see the people is uh, is a good reason to go to shows. Which hopefully one day we'll have shows again. Yeah, uh, one, day. one day, one day. Because it hasn't really been the show kind of year this year. No, um, but. At some point, there'll be there'll be shows again, ten blade shows, and you went. So I mean, you've only so I mean ten. It's not to only, but you've you've been to ten. But your span of attendance is the key thing. So I mean, like from the '90s until I saw you at Blade Show 2018. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's 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 a distance. That's for mm-hmm. sure a distance. But yeah, man, fucking awesome, great work, and. uh it's really it's it's good to see the tradition. So I talked to a lot of people about this. I know these guys have heard me drone on about it, but like 
there are so few, almost no people making automatics anymore. So, I mean, you've got to know that you're, you're part of the Jedi now. I mean, like mm. there are no new makers making automatics out there. There's, it's, it's just like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's part of the industry that people are afraid of, or it's too technologically advanced for them to get their head around or something. I mean, yeah. have you personally ever had an apprentice for automatics? I never have. No, I'm the, the guys that I hire, they're, they're excellent skilled machinists and they're excellent at mechanics, but they have no artistic ability. Hmm. And even the knives that I build now, I, I couldn't put any one, any knife in front of them and have them assemble it and tune it without me standing over their shoulder. So it's, they're not, they're not easy to tune and they require a lot of patience. And I think that's probably why there are only what, is there, is there five makers of double action out the fronts out there right now? Oh no. There's, if that, there's three, four, there's four. That's it. Four. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. so that tells you something and you've got what 500 guys making flippers and liner locks. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. Or, yeah. or more. So it's, it's, it's tedious. It's hard and you can't do it effectively without CNC machines and CNC machines cost 60 grand. And a lot of guys don't want to step out and, and, you know, take that kind of responsibility on for overhead. Um, I just happened to, because I got a good deal on one machine and it escalated and my business blew up overnight when I hit IG. So it worked out for me real well, but um, I would like to go bigger, uh, but finding someone um, that's honest and is an, is a good AutoCAD programmer and can, be a machinist it's a very rare rare find in an employee so um i don't know you know how tony marfion does it he's got what 30 or 40 employees i i don't i don't know that i could i don't want to turn into a babysitter you know i want to remain a knife maker and not um govern people or watch people you know all days make sure they're working or shit like that but i'm still having fun i make i make a good a good wage and um I'm I'm having fun. I'm the American dream. You know, I love what I'm doing. It's a blast to go to work. That's that's pretty badass, man. That's that's an excellent answer. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. All right. Nice. Um So you have one machine that's really working for you right now or, or multiple? I've I've got two employees and I have three CNC machines at present. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, I could I'm looking go for a second mill at the moment. Yeah. If I could, I could go for another machine and one more employee, and I could probably double my output and actually keep up with Josh and a couple other guys. But it's just finding the right guy, you know. Yeah, I'm here in New York City, and no one even knows what machining is. Like, what do you yeah. do? Yeah, You're a machinist. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> understand. What does that entail? You see that iPhone you're holding? Yeah, machinists make the housings and everything around that holds All everything right. together right on they make they make the things the things that need to be made yeah like I, I run everything but now if i want the second machine i'd like like a part-time machinist or someone and i'm like this is not like this job that the title doesn't exist in new york city yeah. yeah yeah it's one of those it's one of those crafts that just uh you know i don't know it's it's, it's not a dying of, breed man yeah. is what i hate to say it's dying out you know kids want to play video games and design video games they don't want to learn uh, how to 
I'd say it's it, it's probably better than ever, to be honest. Uh, ever since Fusion 360 came out and like this Instagram and YouTube or machinist community started happening, mm-hmm. and the the barrier entry was no longer six thousand dollars for the cheapest CAD software, and now you can get into it for five hundred dollars a year, yeah, or for yeah. free if you're just a hobbyist. Right, but that's Fusion not 360. machining. That's just rendering. And yeah, but that's eighty percent of the actual machining. Oh, right. Know. Is the AutoCAD? <laughs> what? Yeah. All right. Or yeah, the draft that, site? That, nah, two D is nothing. You gotta oh, get boy. deep into three D and CAM, oh, but like that's eighty percent of it. Setting up yeah. the machine and that, that's not that hard. Yeah. But fi- figuring we're, out we're the right. fixtures and how to hold the parts. Like when I look at no. your parts, uh, Paul, when I'm at the when I'm at PVK. A lot of your parts are very intricate, small, tiny things, which is probably why you hate titanium, because machining small titanium parts is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I look at knives or anything, I'm always like, okay, how was this made? How do I hold it? And your knives, every time I see them, I'm like, either the fixtures are really complex, or there's a lot of tabs, and Paul does a lot of grinding after the parts of the machine. Yes. Correct. But it's like all those little, like, oh, the overlays... There's ways to machine things. One, you make complex fixtures to make sure there are no tabs, which is what I'm a fan of. I don't. I really don't like dealing with tabs. Or mm-hmm. you can make simpler fixtures and have a bunch of tabs that require post-secondary uh, ops to machine them off or grind them off by hand and then blend them in. Most of Paul's, stu- Paul's like overlays, they're all very unique, so you don't want to make a fixture for each one. So that's why I was assuming he uses tabs. And a lot of that, like um, the Constantine OTF, Oh, the, I, I don't the know. spinal cord. Not the well, not the spinal cord. Oh, and yeah, the overlays. But I'm talking about like the the Constantine OTF, the OTFs that have like that double bit X spacer oh, yeah. thing. Like, that's also a pretty complex thing to machine and hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the, I mean those the angles on that too, the curves, like the whole thing is just like. How many tabs do you usually use? That's like that ins- complicated. That's that's insane. Two at the most. Mm. Use any more than that, you're, you're making it harder for yourself. Oh wow! Yeah, I totally forgot to the whole spinal cord thing was like, yeah, yeah. The abalone and the uh, carbon fiber inlays, we don't use any tabs. What we do is we just actually we put um, masking tape down upon a piece of aluminum, and then we'll super glue just a couple dots onto the sheet of abalone and glue it to the tape. Uh, I used to do that too. Tell your guys to check out. Um, it's a double-sided tape I use. Instead, mm-hmm. it's way easier than dealing with the with the goddamn super glue. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you right now. P one hundred. Uh, Jared, just keep talking. I'm gonna look up the tape for a minute. Okay. <laughs> so, so you you glue the abalone to a sheet of aluminum? Yes. That's stuck to a piece of tape. Yeah. And then you just you just run the the pattern right over that. So you, do you cut R- the run alum- it right over it, cut through the tape, and then just heat the back of the aluminum up with a, um, a propane torch to where it's warm, and then we just peel the abalone right off of the aluminum. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. There's right. there's a little bit more to it. I mean, if you hold, yeah, yeah. If you grab it too hard, you crack it or whatever. But hmm, man. Yeah, I uh, mean, there's there's tricks to everything. Yeah, I use the glue stuff sometimes more. I use it for metal down is, but I'm just doing something. I'll use a double sided tape. It's called Neato P zero two double sided tape. Neato, okay. Like N I T T O. Okay, yeah, I'll check that out. P zero two. Yeah, it just makes things a lot easier. 
Yeah. Hmm. Easy. Nice. Got to cut those. Got to cut those inlays, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh man. So you were making the OTS at first with CNC or without? Yeah. Now that I'm like less tired, <laughs> I don't want to talk. I was, yeah. I was no, dying in the beginning definitely, there. Definitely with. Yeah. I don't think that you can make a CNC or a, out the front without a CNC because those things are so complex with, uh, um, you know, fitment and tolerances that. If one tolerance is off, it's not going to work. Friction, blade's not going to blade's going to stick, jam, gall, whatever. Yeah, it's a goal of mine. At some point in my career, I'd like to make an OTF. Just finding the time to sit there and reverse engineer, as you said, it took you five years to develop yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could sit with a maker now and and help him develop one in um, in a month. From what I know now, it just took me five years because I didn't have anybody helping me. And when he asked a maker like Jeff Harkins how how you do this, and they say "fuck you," you know, <laughs> what do you do? You just got to go back and and re and start on your own, you know. Yeah, um, I kind of see Jeff saying that. <laughs> uh yeah, that's the OTF thing is like, I mean, you know from other stuff, but OTFs are pretty, uh, it's a whole other bag of tricks. And the people oh, yeah. who, people involved in that are, that's even a more coveted thing than than any folder out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. That's, that's, some, that's some wizardry right there. Yeah, and I've taken apart a few. I understand how they work. It's like the certain like tolerance points. Where do I have to keep tolerances and making some of the internal pieces? Yeah, uh, that I have to figure out a little bit better, a little better ways of making some of the stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the trick, Nick. Yeah. Get to get in there, man. I'll get it eventually, Jer. I just got to sure. sit down and really commit and do it and find the time. But there's never enough time today. No, that's yeah, true. that's what it is. It takes time to do it right. Mm. Do it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, or the first like hundred times, but then like the hundred first time, that's the trick. That's when it. Yeah. All, right. That's when it all falls together, man. That's it. That's that's the real trick. Thousands of dollars later, yeah. Right. But you figure it out. Well, you scrap a couple of knives, you know. It's like, uh, and then it, yeah. and then it, and then it falls in there. Paul, uh, like you said, um, so I mean, you're full time knife maker all the time every day um so are you taking are you taking uh orders now i mean can people just contact you and order knives are your books closed are they open how does that work no they remain open i've got i normally carry an eight month backlog on side openers and i can still produce any out the front within four to eight weeks so i keep a constant four to eight week backlog on uh, out the fronts uh, with with different dealers uh, your brother um, southern edges and um, i forget the other name of the guy that's i'm with or he's with me and then just you know clients that, that want one one off specific something like that with a spinal cord over something different you know kick ass all right so i mean yeah definitely paul's knives are are at dealers and if if you're if you're in the market, you should check out that check out that Instagram. It's a great place to see uh, a real good variety of of his work. And and if you're seeing something that you like, hit him up. 
slide into those DMs, get get an get an order on the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that being said, do you find that your site openers are still even like as popular or more popular than the OTFs these days? I'm gonna say they still remain the most popular knife wow. that I build, and I gotta say I'm I'm tired as hell making them. I think <laughs> I've made probably two thousand side opening pick locks to date and i can build them blindfolded and i'm just real tired of making them you know yeah they take they take twice or three times as long to produce than an out the front hmm. so you know in in uh, eight hours i can build three out the fronts and only one pick water really right. I, got, I gotta figure out this eight hours three otfs <laughs> <laughs> scenario it's all it's all about the learning curve, Nick. It's all about that learning curve. I something about the Italians, man. It's like it's unstoppable. Like I answer the phone and the emails every fucking day and people it's just about Italians. I mean OTFs, but like Italians, there's something about it and like Italian collectors are just like unto themselves with the details. Yeah. So I mean oh, yeah. it's like and which is nice to kind of talk to people once in a while that have some clue of what they're talking about and don't just call up and like start yammering on like things they heard on the TV about like Italian knives. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think I'm going to say comfortably with my knowledge that you're the only person making custom Italians at the moment. I don't, there's nobody else. I mean, Reese, Reese makes them once in a while, but like I asked him to make me a couple and he just kind of groaned and you know, he was yeah. like, yeah, maybe. Um, but so, I mean, yeah, that's probably, you're the only guy doing it. That's the thing. That's for mm-hmm. which my first was at Jared's shop and I saw them. I was like, wait, are these customs? He's like, yeah, that's when I first saw your work. And I was like, really? Are people still making custom Italians? Right. He's like, yeah, that's pretty much what Paul does. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. It will, like, oh, okay. And the really cool thing that Paul does, which nobody really gets how cool it is, makes a Tonto Italian, which is totally fucking cool. Cause it's basically like a katana italian um i just think it's really neat because there's no you can never get an italian with a tanto they're all bayonets mm-hmm. um so the tanto variation is is pretty neat uh yeah I, I don't know how popular it is with your customers i think it's really neat but yeah they, that's been a very popular style oh, shit, for me. Okay, absolutely good. all right great it wasn't a totally freak accident um awesome all right well uh paul man um I think, I think we covered it. Um, I'm sure I've missed stuff, um, and and we'll have to get back to it. But I I want to I want to really I want to thank you for taking time uh, to come on with us tonight and and do this podcast. I really you're uh, welcome. I really Happy appreciate it. Uh, we'll have love to, talking knives. The guys right? that like knives. See, we'll we'll have to do this. We'll have to do this again. We'll have to have a a, a part two. Um, yeah, sure. Talk some talk some more shit about about badass switchblades. All right, yeah, that that'd be cool. Um, yeah, badass. Uh, on that note, um, gonna start to wrap up. Uh, this has been another episode of the Bladeology podcast. Uh, we were on tonight talking to Paul Panak of Burn Knives. Definitely check out his Instagram. I will put it in the show notes uh i am jeremiah burbank with pvk vegas and i'm signing off nick trooper of ncc knives and i'm signing off 
Elijah Isham of Isham Blade Works. See you later, folks. Thanks, guys.